Welcome to the VBAC Home Birth Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Winning, founder of the Motherhood Circle and creator of the Journey into Motherhood program. I'm a mother of three and have had two unplanned and unneeded C-sections and had a calm and positive vaginal home birth, free birth, with our third baby who is 4.5 kilos or 10 pounds. My own journey has sparked a deep passion to support women to find their strength and support to create the pregnancy, birth and postpartum you desire and deserve. This podcast is for women wanting to learn more about VBACs, especially home births, and professionals who want to learn more about how to support home birthing women. Inside, we're going to hear from women sharing their stories from surgical birth to achieving their vaginal home birth after cesarean, as well as expert interviews so that you have a mix of inspiring stories as well as powerful knowledge. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode on the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ashley, and I am a little bit excited today to be talking about special scars. Special scars hold a little special place in my heart because I have a special scar and I've been wanting to do this segment for a little while. I know every now and then there's a beautiful woman who has a special scar. So I think it's really important that we have this support and information available. So you can go and get some further support, understand it a little bit more and really understand the risks and the reasons why this may have happened in your cesarean birth as well. Well, usually it happens in a cesarean birth. I shouldn't say always though. So If you have one, you will more than likely know about it. The surgeon would usually recommend that you don't ever labor on that scar again, or they might say that you're not suitable for a VBAC in future. Usually they'll say this after, like either during the surgery. The surgery may have gone on a little bit longer than your normal surgery of half an hour to an hour. You might've gone on for a couple of hours. There might've been other things that were happening that you know was a bit of an emergency situation. Or maybe you weren't even aware of it happening and they said something to you later on. Sometimes women don't even actually find out till they fall pregnant with their next baby. And then the obstetrician says, oh, actually you're not a great candidate for VBAC because you've got this special scar. And more times than not, you're probably going to have been told that after you've just had that surgical birth. Um, But every now and then it kind of pops up afterwards that you may not know. I wouldn't stress out too much. Just have a little bit of faith that they would have told you, um, you know, during that birth experience afterwards. They're usually pretty good like that as well. So Today, I'm going to talk about what are the different types of scars, because there's a few different types of scars. And depending on the type of scar, you will have a different reason for why there's a scar there, why it may have happened. Uh, There will be different risk factors, uh, factors, I should say, for uterine rupture as well. So first of all, I want to share a little bit of a definition of what a special scar is as well. A, this definition came from the Special Scars and Special Hope Facebook page. Those women are just amazing. They were such a godsend to me when I found out I had a special scar and I was recommended the page and then I got into the group and it's just a beautiful bunch of women 
from all walks of life, women who are having VBACs, who are having um, home births, free births, women who are planning cesareans and everyone's just so supportive. There's so like so many women that are in that group are dealing with traumatic previous births. We just get each other. And it's just so nice to be part of like, if you have a special scar, sometimes you feel a little bit special. So I love the name special scar because, you know, you don't like for me, especially I didn't classify myself as, oh, I'm having, I've had two surgical births, you know, this is my risk factor. It was like, no, I've got a special scar. So I'm different to you. And I think, you know, some of us do this like, oh, I've got GD. So I've got a different risk to that person or, but you know, I've got a high BMI. I did this throughout my, all of my pregnancies well, especially my second and third pregnancies, but there was always like, oh, I've got this extra risk and I've got to understand this risk. And so there was a big emphasis after because I was absolutely shattered when I found out that I had a special scar and the surgeon said to me promise me this is what he said to me promise me I'll share my story a bit later as well so we can go into the context of this but he said promise me that you will never labor again like you know you can have two more c-sections but promise me and I was like okay I promise you we'll go into the context of that story afterwards but I just remember looking up at his face while I was in surgery and just thinking, oh my goodness, this is really scary. And I was gutted after that. I was depressed. Like I was on struggle straight, you know, I knew we wanted to have four kids in total. And I, I thought I'm never going to have another baby again. My chances of vaginal birth are ruined. Like I never want to have another surgery. I never want to have another child. And for a long time, I said, I don't want any more children because I didn't see a way that I was going to put myself in a situation where I would be okay with having a C-section. Like I was always okay with having one in an emergency situation, but I was never okay to, you know, be one of those ladies who just scheduled it. Like that was really scary for me. And it just wasn't, even though I'd been through the process twice and walked it through, and it really isn't that scary when you're in this situation. Um, well, it wasn't for me, you know, parts of it weren't, but it was just that I just didn't feel like that was the way that I wanted to birth my babies. So there was a lot of trauma there for a long time. And I guess being part of that special scars, special hope group definitely gave me special hope because I started to get connected with other women who were having births on the same scar as me, who were having births, vaginal births on scars that had higher risk than what my special scar had. And I started to hear stories and I was just so amazed at these strong, powerful women. And in that group, they had their own statistics. So with the members of the group, I mean, it wasn't done by somebody with a PhD and, you know, submitted to a medical journal, but for me, hearing from real women who I know aren't just made up in some study, I can physically connect with these women, like, you know, virtually, I, sh I should say not physically, but on a spiritual energetic level, I'm connecting with them. And I can see that, you know, the, the blood, sweat and tears that go into this preparation and, and what these women are doing it, you know, it was just so surreal. And it was just such a humbling and transform experience so I'm so grateful to the ladies that run that group because it is a volunteer group and you know how passionate they are I'll put links into this um the show notes for that group for for the pages and any of the um 
information that I'm reading out to you because I have gone to a couple of different websites to grab some statistics and risks and just explanations, more medicalized explanations of these um, special scars as well. So the definition of a special scar as per the special scar, special hope Facebook group is a scar resulting from a classical inverted T J lower vertical upright T or any other cesarean section or incision, I should say, other than the most often used low transverse. Also any scar on the uterus from other uterine surgeries, such as myomectomies i hope that i said that right which is a surgical procedure to remove uterine fibroids so let's talk more about the types of scars and how they can happen and how they can impact a future vbac because i spoke to some midwives about mine you know when i was going wanting to have a future baby which was my third baby and i was you know speaking to some independent midwives and I was saying, oh, you know, what do you think my child, you know, will I get a midwife to support me? What are my options? And, you know, one midwife just looked at me and said, I'm going to be honest, like, they're going to look at you as if you're a walking, like, red flag. Like, they're going to be petrified when they look at you. That's what they, that's what she said to me. So I knew that the hospital setting wasn't exactly a safe space for me to go. They didn't support me to have a general VBAC. I had to fight for my life to have a natural v-back like which is bloody ridiculous just because i have a high bmi so i knew myself in my situation with my particular situation and the hospitals that were available to me at the time that that was not going to be a a uh, a very safe situation for me so i had to go on this journey and look for other um other outcomes, other information and see exactly what was out there. And thank goodness that I did as well. I'm so grateful that I went on that journey because it's a bit of a rough journey sometimes. It's, you know, it took me a few years to go on that journey and, and go through that, but I'm so grateful that I did. So let's talk more about the scars and how they can impact a future VBAC. So we've got the classical incision, which is up an up and down cut made in the upper part of the uterus. This is sometimes done for premature um, C-section babies. So for babies born, because, you know, sometimes, and I interviewed a lady on the podcast, uh, Brianna, on, I'll tell you what episode it is. So episode 22, Brianna or Brina, um, she had a powerful home birth with Amish midwives after a classical C-section due to a preterm birth with preeclampsia. That was a really wonderful episode. I thought if she can do it with a classical C-section, because they completely say don't don't labor on those C-sections, which are the highest risks ones, they always say, you know, when you have something like that, um, you know, you've always got to have a C-section. Um, so listen to that episode if you wanted to, you know, hear more about her experience and the choice that she made with her home birth. These usually happen when there's something really dangerous happening and they need to get the baby out for either the mother's life or the baby's life. And their only real option is to, you know, have this sort of surgical birth to get the baby out quickly. Uh, I know of women who there's always the option to have vaginal birth. It's just that when babies are really small, sometimes it's safer for them to be born surgically. 
Uh, and other times, you know, I've, I've heard of a woman who's opted knowing that her baby probably wouldn't survive through a vaginal birth and she chose to have the vaginal birth and the baby didn't survive. But there also was a really high risk that her baby wouldn't have survived if born through the classical C-section scar as well. So it's about weighing up those risks and also knowing if you have personally had this sort of scar, I highly recommend that you do check out that episode with Brina. And also, look, I'm when it comes to statistics, I'm no expert. I really turn to the experts. I usually look at people with PhDs who really understand how to read data because statistics are not my super favourite and they're not my strong point. Um, the reason why is because you may have heard me say something, Dr. Rachel Reed. I saw her at a, um, a, a, I heard her speak live, and she was talking about how sometimes studies can be created or made, and they're purely trying to find certain outcomes because they're selling their product. They have to be funded by somebody, so somebody has to care enough to pay a bunch of people to research something and usually it's an intervention that they're trying to sell or a drug that they're trying to sell they're trying to find the answer that they want to find and you know sometimes they're done because women you know people are trying to get their phd so they have to do a thesis they have to do a study so that's cool too but i also am very mindful that you know studies are just studies and they don't mean that it's going to happen to you or that you particularly are at higher risk so I kind of think about it in a really how would you say I think about them as they're just a tiny piece of the information that I put into into my decision making so they're really good to say okay so basically this is the percentage for you know the general population and then we look at me as an individual unique person and then utilizing the intuition and what you believe will happen doesn't mean that that's going to happen there's always a risk for anything happening but it's just nice to look at it in a holistic way I suppose that's how I kind of look at things and I kind of feel into things and then I kind of look at it you know if you looked at life like birth is like one of the times where people are always throwing statistics around there's a risk of this and a risk of that. And there's a risk of like all these things happening to you normally anyways. People don't go, oh, here, when you have your Big Mac, oh, here, now you've got an added risk, 50% risk of premature death in like 20 years time. People don't say, oh, you've got up this morning, you didn't go for your five kilometer walk. You're at blah, 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 risk now of dying from this. Oh, you're having your Doritos that puts you at this much risk for having type two diabetes. We that like we're living in a risky situation, like everything we do. And so you can get really overwhelming when you start to think about all the risks and you're putting a pressure cooker when you we're, we're pregnant. It's like risk, 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 risk. How dare you? You're a bad person. You know, oh God, it makes my blood boil. I think I might do a podcast episode now. I think about it on statistics and my viewpoint because I definitely have a lot to say on in regards to it. But I do think that they have some, you know, they're a little piece of the puzzle. It's helpful, and you know, most of the time those statistics actually are the things that help you 
to feel more confident when it does come to doing these things because usually they're in our favour and it's the obstetricians and that hospital system that makes it seem so dangerous and so scary because they're worried about their licence, they're worried about their insurance, they're worried about their career, they're worried about if this X, Y, Z thing happens, how are they going to resolve it? Do they have the confidence? Have they seen it? Is it something that happens often? You know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of overworking kind of happening in those situations. So, you know, when we look at it, we're just looking at ourselves. We're looking at, you know, is it safe for me? Is it safe for my baby? What do I want to do? What's the best, you know, thing for me to do? And so there's so many things to kind of work through. So when it comes to risks for classical incisions, and if you do listen to that podcast episode with Brina, you know, we were kind of unsure exactly what the risk is. And I don't think that when it comes to special scars, anyone really knows because there just isn't enough statistics and no one's really doing it. Plus you can't consider the risk of someone having a special scar in the hospital system to a woman birthing outside of the hospital system. And this is one of the things I find with statistics often is that there's these risks for women who aren't having a physiological birth they have extra risks because they're having interventions, they're having medicines, they're having all these extra things. They're not doing the natural, you know, physiological instinctive thing. And we know that by doing that and allowing our body to go into natural um, physiological and allowing things to happen in in a less stressful environment, that our personal risk, you know, obviously minimizes. And then again, we've got to look at ourselves and our individual situation, I really did go on a bit of a rant there, didn't I? <laughs> I love talking about this stuff and I think I've shied away from it for too long. So be tuned. I'm probably going to be talking about this a bit more on my Instagram page and, you know, in the, in the, I might, in, I might bring on some experts to talk about it and hear their views and, you know, we might get into it, but the risk here for classical incision apparently at the moment is four to nine percent. So could be anywhere from four to nine percent. Um, a T and J incision. So these scar types happen when a surgeon needs more room to get the baby out after they've done a low transverse incision. They look like a T or a J, and sometimes they happen on accident as well. And uh, these scars are apparently a bit rare as well. So when they say it can happen by accident, it can happen because the surgeon makes a mistake. They go too far, they go up. It could happen because the baby's arm moves or um, which is apparently what happened in my birth. The baby's arm can fling out or when they're pulling the baby out, it can kind of tear a little bit. These sorts of things can happen. And it is a risk of a surgical birth as well. Uh, If you wanted to listen to a story with... um, a beautiful, amazing woman who had a inverted T special scar. Check out episode 28. She had Lisa. She had an inverted T and she had a home birth as well after one cesarean. And then we have the low vertical incision, which is a low vertical incision that is made. It's like a classical scar, except for it goes down and it's in the lower part of the uterus. So you, Basically, I would consider maybe you've got that low trend. What have you got? The low, the normal. Um, I'm getting confused with my verticals and my transverse, but it's the low, lower transverse, which is the normal one. And then the special scar would start from that scar 
there. So that one across down. And that one is less risky of all of the special scars. Um, these incision types are used when the baby is large, transverse, sideways, or for placenta previa. I also want to add, add as well for this one, and this is what I found. I'm really surprised that this is not included in here because when I was researching for myself, I found, I think it was on Rand's Cog or Rand's, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's basically the obstetrician's um, board for Australia and New Zealand. So they have their own one. And then there's ACOG or ANCOG. I mean, I shouldn't, I don't, I'm not working in the um, obstetrician realm. So I'm not exactly across the board when it comes to this stuff anymore, but there's the American one. And then there's the Australian and New Zealand one. They all pretty much say very similar things anyways. They're obstetricians. They all get the same information from the same published journals most of the time anyways. Um, and I found something on the Australian and the New Zealand board of obstetricians. And they said that this is a scar that they say is okay and safe to labor on because it's got the lowest risk chance of um, uterine risk, rupture risk, I should say, which is really interesting. And I thought that for me, if they say that it's, it's okay and they, you know, they do say like, look at the individual woman and her facts, blah, 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 which, you know, is great. But the fact that they put it on there, I was like, that was good enough for me. I was, that was good enough for me to say, yep, yeah, okay, I'm fine with it. If an obstetrician's fine with it, I'm okay with it. Now, just because they had that guideline on there does not mean that that actually translated in the hospital system. Because those obstetricians that I had spoken with, they were petrified. Like I went and had a birth debrief a year or six months later or something, and I saw one of the most supportive vaginal birth obstetricians apparently who everyone loved and went on about was so amazing. And when I had my um, appointment with her, she was not amazing and she was not supportive. And I honestly think it was because she had something against high BMI women possibly, or maybe she'd had a, I know that she'd had um, something she'd, being demoted and had a, a poor outcome um so maybe her experience was a little bit jaded she'd you know she'd she was a bit more risk adverse by the time I got to see her um and that's the other thing as well you know you could have an obstetrician who's completely supportive and then they have a poor outcome and it, it might not even have anything to do with them as far as I know this obstetrician had nothing to do with her you know her doing anything wrong um and the parents, they didn't blame her, but, you know, when the board comes down and they look into it, somebody's got to basically get in trouble for that. And so they're really worried about these sorts of things happening. That's what they're worried about. And they're like treading on glass. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt as to the reasons why they feel this way. Also keep in mind that they never see physiological birth. So how can you take advice from somebody who has never seen or understands physiological birth? It's really crazy. So I wanted to share a little bit about my personal experience as well, because my personal experience, I didn't actually give you, before I go into my personal experience, I didn't actually go into the risk factors for this. Now I got this off of a website, ncbi.lnlm. I don't actually know what the website is. Let me just have a quick look and see if I can find it. I'm just looking around here quickly. 
So the website is the Surgical Journal PubMed Central. So this is where they put the, um, the journals in. And I will put the link for this one because it's really good because they have the pictures of the different um, uterine scars here. And they actually have different ones, a little, a few more than what I actually said as well. They have, they have a low transverse with U extension. They have a high transverse. They have a fundal transverse. Then they have the midline vertical classical incision, which is the classical. They have the low transverse with J extension, the low transverse with T extension in the midline, the lower the low vertical and a low transverse. So it's really good to see the pictures and the images as well. And then they go through some of the reasons and um, some of the things. But they also had a the what they deemed for rupture rates. And they found the rupture rates from ACOG in 1999. So 23 years ago, they that's what they're sourcing. So whether they've got new statistics or whatever now, but they put classical incision at 4.9, 4 to 9%, 4 to 9%, I should say. Low transverse with T extension, they put at 4 to 9%. Low vertical incision, this is a pretty big one, 1% to 7%. It's like, mm, could go either way. Like, that, you know, for me, that's like, oh, goodness, that's like they have no idea, like 1% to 7%. That's, you know, some of these are a little bit, you know, they obviously don't have much data. Low transverse is 0.2 to 1.5%. So, yeah, that's really interesting. So I'll put that link in there for you to have a look. If you're the kind of person that likes to look at this sort of stuff, I personally do. It makes me feel a little bit secure. And then we kind of just, you know, shuffle it in our minds the way that we need to. Um, I definitely probably put my risk at 2%. I was like, I'm, I'm okay with that 2%. Yeah, that's fine. That's where I kind of justified my risk factor for that. So let me share a little bit about what happened to me with my birth and basically how I ended up with a special scar. So I'll do it really quickly. I don't want this one to be a super long one, but if you haven't heard my story, which was a really long story, I think it was over like a three or four episodes because I wanted to get all the births and I just can't stop talking. But my special scar, which left me devastated, was I went into spontaneous labor after a stretch and sweep, if you want to call that spontaneous labor. And I was really proud of myself because I'd never been in labor before. I went into the hospital really quickly within a couple of hours and I was already five centimeters. I was laboring beautifully. And after a couple of hours, they artificially broke my waters to get the, the clip on the head. And that's when things started to get different. So I was, I was sitting at about seven to eight centimeters by then. And then once the waters were broken and the clip, the screw went into my baby's head. It was D cell, baby not recovering quick enough, you know, people rushing in. And then there was talk of a cervical lip, babies and senlytic, baby's heads to the side. You have a cervical lip, which means that at this point, I think I was about 10 centimeters one side and eight centimeters the other side. 
So my cervical lip had swollen from the pressure of the baby's head being in a not a great position and my baby was up high. So they're talking in their terms. I'd never even looked into this side of things when I was pregnant. I just had this belief that if I just fend off the induction talk, the C-section talk, the growth scans, if they believe in me, if they do this, they do that, blah, 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 blah. I got kicked out of um, Logan Hospital at 37 weeks pregnant, 36, 37 weeks pregnant, because I refused to submit to growth scans and I... Uh, said that I would only do continuous monitoring if they gave me wireless monitors. Apparently that's a little bit radical. Um, they use the old, we're not willing to take the risk on, even though my risk factors had not changed since I was admitted there. Um, and so I was at a different hospital and, you know, I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Like I just kept saying to them, so my baby can just come out, right? Like I'm already, I'm always 10 centimetres. Can't the baby just come out? Like soon, the baby's coming out soon. And because I didn't have any birth knowledge really at this point in time, but they were like really freaked out. And they just kept making out like as if this baby wasn't going to be born. And I just kept saying like, it's only been six hours that I've been in labour, like calm down, you know? And there was so many VEs, like every hour there's a VE, um, you know, which is just not great. You know, they shouldn't be doing things like that. But every VE was doubt. Nothing's changed. We recommend C-section. And every time they said that, they kept saying about the risk of if you wait to have your C-section, because they'd already decided I was having a C-section, then this, this, and this could go wrong in the C-section. And I was kind of like, well, you know, me and the baby are fine. Can't we just wait? And they just kept on every hour, you know, and, and looking at their faces, they were really like worried, like you have to have a, that, that it had no belief or trust in my body to birth my baby. They had no, they didn't, that, there was no possibility basically in their mind. So I already had the epidural by this stage. So I was stuck on the bed and I couldn't escape. But I remember them leaving and me thinking, I don't, I kept saying to my, my doula and husband, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. I'm stuck here. I'm captive and I don't trust them. I don't trust what they're saying. But the fear niggles in you and it niggles and you get tired and you feel like there's no way and the hopelessness. And if you don't have the information, well, how are you supposed to know what to do? But I kept saying no. And I kept saying, I need another two hours. I need another hour. I need more time just expecting this baby to come out. But when you have an epidural, it slows things down. I didn't know at the time, but my contractions were completely slowed down. I'm not in a great position. I'm not helping my baby to move in a great position. Um, I have no doubt that the baby would have came out eventually, but um, you know, it would have been a lot slower because of the interventions that had happened as well. So I eventually succumbed and went in for this surgical birth after about three d cells and i said okay fine we'll go in had the c-section and then all of a sudden it was a bit emergency in the room i knew there was something wrong and some more senior people got you know called in it was like everyone was quiet you know when people are quiet you know there's something up and i ended up being on that table for about four hours i lost 3.1 liters of blood and the surgeon said to me Now, promise me, you'll never labor on that again. He said to me, you can have two more surgical births, 
but you know promise me and I was like okay I promise you know I thought I was going to die in that situation I was petrified I'd just gone through the most traumatic experience of my life I was awake through the the nightmare of it all and I was like I promise I promise I promise and yeah I mean he'd come in whatever he was doing for the day but he'd come into this woman who's plus size and you know her body's you know he's got this picture that this woman is incapable of birthing he's got he's coming into this he's a specialized surgeon he's wonderful when it comes to suturing and these are the types of things that he sees which is scary when you've lost 3.1 liters of blood and you know it's a really you could tell that they were really stressed there was a bit bickering between the anesthesiologists you could tell that they were stressed the surgeons they were really having trouble to get that scar back together because my, my scar actually went all the way down to the cervix as well. So what I took away from that experience was that they had put my life at risk because they didn't believe in me or understand physiological birth. They knew the risk of that happening. And when I went to look on ANCOG, uh, RANS, whatever it's called, the Australian New Zealand one, I, when I did my research around lower segment scare, uh, scars, I actually found that one of, the, one of the recommendations and guidelines is that when a woman gets to a certain part in her label, when the baby has gone down to a certain station, that they highly recommend that they allow the woman to birth the baby unless they know that the baby cannot be born vaginally. They do not recommend it because that is a risk that will happen. And when I found that, I thought, so they put me at risk because I'm trying to understand it all. You know, when I'm asking questions to the midwife, what happened? Why did this happen? You start to piece together things. You go do a birth debrief with an independent midwife. I did a um, debrief with an obstetrician and I started to formulate information, ideas. I, I researched birth more. I started to really understand what had happened to me. And I found that they, like, obviously they kept saying to me, so they knew it was a risk. The thing that wasn't cool was that they didn't allow me to do what was natural. And they put me in a risky situation because their lack of belief or skill set in natural vaginal birth. Now, I just wanted to share that with you because if you've had a special scar, you may have gone through a really traumatic experience as well. And it can be devastating. I'm getting a little emotional thinking about any of the women out there now who are waking up thinking, what the hell, I've got no chance at a vaginal birth now. Um, it can be absolutely devastating. It was soul shattering for me. It was as if you told me that oh, my one of my children had died. It, it sounds really stupid. It sounds really silly to say something like that. But for somebody who really wanted to have a vaginal birth and never thought that they would end up in a C-section, that's what it meant. That's what it meant and felt like for me. So I've given you a little bit of insight into how I navigated the extra risk factor or the extra stamp of having a special scar I've given you a couple of stories to listen to we've got Brianna's with a classical um, scar we've got um, Lisa with a what has she got she's got an inverted T and we've got mine so I'm a lower segment 
but into my cervix. And one of the things that the obstetrician said to me with the risk factors is that you may have problems with your cervix opening up. So it was like, I've got to worry about that. And then I had another goodie as well. You may be at high risk or you're at higher risk of having a premature labor before 20 weeks when the baby's not viable. And I thought, oh, gee, that's great, isn't it? So you've just got to kind of take them on the chin, have belief and trust that everything will work out the way it is. Because, you know, there's parts of me, I remember, that wanted to hate them, blame them, stay stuck in that powerless, you know, how could they do this to me? Why me? Why me? Um, And I think I probably did, you know, had a lot of self-pity and wallowing. And that's okay. You know, it it was a really traumatic experience that I went through. And I think that unless you've been through some of these experiences, it's really hard to relate. It's really hard to understand. There might be some extra trauma there. Um, And it might give you some extra drive to have this home birth feedback as well, which for me, it was like, okay, that's a really dangerous and scary place for someone like me. That's why I'm anchoring to a home birth, because to me, that is a much safer experience for me than dealing with that kind of crazy. And that's for me, how I kind of, justified and and really anchored to home birth and then of course the more I learned about home birth the more I learned about physiological birth the more I learned about instinctive birth the more I listened to empowering empowering inspiring powerful births I was just in awe and I anchored to my mum's birth she had um you know easy uncomplicated vaginal births her mother and the women before her and just harnessing all the energy um so yeah it's it's amazing when I look back and I think about the journey that I've been on and I know so many women do and when I work with women and they come to me and they share their stories and we start to unpack all the things that have happened we have a birth debrief we unpack it all we start to work through those fears there's always like so many fears and so many things that have been put onto us and it's really important to work through those fears it's really important to work through those mindset challenges It's important to believe in yourself. If you can't muster and do this alone, that is totally okay as well. I had to outsource a lot of that belief to other people for a while until I could truly believe in myself. But there does come a point in your journey where you do need to muster and harness that belief in yourself. And if you need to outsource that support, do whatever you need to do to, you know, get you to that point. But if you need some extra help, If you want that support and guidance from somebody who understands where you are, where you've been, where you're going and has had the outcome that you want, that vaginal birth at home, then, you know, I invite you, beautiful soul, to connect with me. I'm here. I've got the capacity. I've got space to hold space for you, to work through those fears with you, to work through those mindset challenges to talk it out, to really get to the bottom of those fears. Because sometimes I find when I work with women, you know, you've got this this fear on the top, but then it really stems back to sometimes childhood, can stem back to some trauma from childhood or in the teenage years or something else that's kind of happened. And it can get really deep and it's about really going down to the depths and the pit and really uncovering that as well as, the self-worth, like really working around self-worth and building your self-worth up, 
and building your boundaries. So there's so much work that goes into the sessions that I do. And I offer 60 minute clarity and confidence sessions. So if you feel like you just want to jump on for to get some answers done, you know, start to unpack this stuff. But if you feel like you need that deep transformation, that real guidance for a period of time, I have four month support packages through pregnancy and six month support packages. And of course, if you want longer or shorter, we can talk about that as well. But those are usually, you know, my popular packages. So slide into my DMs, send me a message. I would love to hear from you. I can answer any questions. If you've got queries and you want to know more about it, please do. I'm, you know, happy to jump onto a 15 minute chat, hear what you want, hear about your birth and work out what's going to be the best step forward for you working with me. Or if you're looking for something a little bit different, I can steer you in that right direction. But yes, I really hope that you enjoyed this special SCAR segment. I, it is an absolute honor. I also want to say we have got 20,000 downloads on the podcast, which is so exciting from somebody who was four months pregnant when I created this. I created this podcast for myself and for the other women who just needed that VBAC home birth stories and information. I felt like this was definitely lacking. I don't classify, I didn't classify, I didn't feel like I fit in with the women who were having hospital births, the stats and all the information just didn't really feel like it was suited, suitable for me. And I also felt like by the time I committed to home birth, that my, basically my, where I was in myself and where I was with birth knowledge and information was totally surpassing those who are planning hospital births most of the time so you know the when I listened to those stories they were really empowering and inspiring but they weren't the kind of births that I want I didn't want women who were advocating and fighting for themselves to have this birth in the hospital and be allowed to have a water birth I wanted to hear women who were taking radical responsibility who were planning their home births who were choosing, handpicking, choosing their team or not having a team and just doing it on their own. I wanted to really immerse myself in that home birth culture. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a very long time, thank you so much. If you're new, welcome. I really hope that you enjoy this podcast and you binge watch or listen to as much as you possibly can. And if you've got a story to share on the podcast, please do send me an email, hello at themotherhoodcircle.com.au or just jump on Instagram. My links are in the show notes, which is just my handle is Ashley L Winning. Um, otherwise, you know, stay cool and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I hope that this episode has helped you take another step to finding your voice and confidence in your VBAC home birth journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to help more women to find out more about VBAC home birth, just like you. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at the motherhood circle. I'll see you next time.